Chapter 11, Betting Big to Fend Off Commoditization. Section 76, Chasing the Low-End Product. Would you buy a simplified office for home, school, or business use? And what would the most important features be? Email me. I'll pass the word along to Microsoft and its competitors. Business Week Magazine. In 1999, Steve Wildstrom, a respected Business Week technology journalist, wrote a series of columns postulating a product called Office Lite. The first appeared June 13, 1999. Office Lite. Less would be more. He wrote one brief column based on a discussion I had with him that spawned a second column and a bit of a letter-writing campaign from readers. It was a classic populist move in the world of tech to solicit readers for their wishes, though usually reserved for the annual what would be the perfect laptop column most writers did at the end of the year. Business Week printed a few letters but took advantage of the relatively new website and shared dozens of more online. In just about every way, the letters showed passion for the concept of a smaller, lighter weight, more tailored version of Office. What could be better than an Office that was easier to use, consumed fewer system resources, and performed better, and cost less? The online version of this section includes the article and the letters from readers. Readers of the column, in addition to Wildstrom, chimed in with what features of Office to remove. Word has no need to support complex page layouts. No need to support embedding spreadsheets in word processors or videos in a presentation. Remove Visual Basic from the app, says that is really for a corporate. Even if it isn't used, it adds complexity no one needs. One reader provided details on the product in the form of a specification. One, creating, formatting, saving, and printing a document. Two, creating, formatting, saving, and printing a worksheet and a graph. Three, inserting a graph and an image within a document. Four, creating tables within a document using a worksheet and or database. Five, creating and updating a database and generating a report. Almost as important were what features to keep. There should be a full suite of a word processor, spreadsheet, and PowerPoint, much to Wildstrom's surprise. Each of those were deemed essential. The file format should be compatible with Big Office. One reader insisted Lite include free spell grammar checkers in multiple languages for those of us in Europe who still write occasionally in French, Spanish, and German. And another pointed out, why did you leave Access out of your suggested suite? I think Access is equally as important to a home as PowerPoint or Excel. Also, it should be cheaper. Wallstrom suggests it costs less than $499, though noted the availability of less expensive office suites. A common point expressed was who would benefit from Office Lite. Some readers pointed out they would not use it, but they thought it would be better for their kids or retired people or just non-technical users. We previously discussed the challenge of feedback when it offers an idea that is good for others, but not for the person offering the feedback. That's gracious, but almost always a sign that the product is heading for poor reviews. Coincidentally, Wallstrom wrote in his positive review of Office 97 that the Office Assistant Clippy, would be great for other people, just not him. The column caused quite a stir within the office team, especially in marketing. Honestly, it hit a nerve. For many individuals, office had become too much software. It also touched on the fact that the PC itself had become too complicated, too fragile, and too hard to keep working. Many readers used the word bloat 
to describe office, a word that appeared a half dozen times across the stories and letters. In the next section, we will develop a more complete definition. But suffice it to say, between too many features, slow, fragile, complicated, and difficult, there is an answer to be found. Customers expressing the concept of bloat were hardly new to us. Our own concerns go as far back as the earliest Macintosh applications, when we added full menus and short menus to reduce the product's perceived overhead. The online section contains a screenshot of full and short menus in Excel version 3 for Windows. Reading the letters in detail, one could see they made just about every argument as to why such a product didn't stand a chance in the marketplace. Each person writing in had a different idea of what features should be in such a product and why their features uniquely made sense. Wallstrom included what I shared with him about the use of features within the product, relaying, most people use only a fraction of the features in a program, such as Word, but everyone uses a different fraction. So there's no way to design a simplified program with broad appeal. His readers made that very point in their own way. In my numerous discussions with Wildstrom over these columns, and basically at every meeting, I'd point out that we already had Office Lite. It is called Microsoft Works. That was my refrain for years when it came to the need for a low-priced, slimmed-down version of Office. In the mass of letters to Business Week, someone else, someone with an informed opinion, agreed with me in their letter. Well, you're right to be championing Office Lite, but you're wrong to be dismissing Microsoft Works for the job. Sure, it has many inadequacies, but saying it needs features X, Y, and Z to warrant your recommendation is to set your steps in the direction that led to Office 2000 bloatware. Peter Norton, Los Angeles. Business Week notes, Norton is a pioneer PC programmer and author of numerous books on PC software. We offered works at about $100 and Office SKUs at different price points ranging from about $149 to $499 including student and teacher, small business, standard, professional, and enterprise. By most definitions and pricing architectures, we were meeting customers at low, medium, high, and very high prices, with products offering a different value proposition. It should be apparent, however, that there was hardly a consensus among the press and its readers on what an alternative price and value structure might look like. Microsoft Works was an early success, a genuine hit product for Microsoft, Version 1.0 was released in 1987 and joined the ranks of the wildly popular category called All-in-One or Integrated Software. The category aimed to take the popular modules of productivity and bundle them into a single, easy-to-use, low-priced product, usually including a word processor, spreadsheet, and database. Works included a communications module as well. The online version of this section includes screenshots of the Works product. The basic assertion was, and keep in mind how early in the PC era this takes place, that the full price products were too expensive and did too many things, and most people needed only a fraction of the product. This was bloat even at the earliest days of computing. Work sold for about half of what a single full price product cost and ran on very basic PCs, PCs with merely 384 kilobytes of memory. Works was hugely popular outside the U.S. and was localized into dozens of languages, often a tricky proposition in those early days of MS-DOS software. Works was a marvel of engineering built with great passion by a very small team and thus extremely profitable. In 1991, Microsoft released the first Windows version of Works for Windows 3.0. 
Again, this product proved popular, though not as much globally where Windows was a slow burn due to hardware requirements. Works for Windows, or WinWorks as we called it, introduced some of the early toolbars and wizards. It was developed in the consumer division, home of those inventions, and to product teams entirely focused on home and student markets. WinWorks also supported Olay, O-L-E, Object, Linking, and Embedding. The enormously complex to implement capability to include data from other applications inside documents, and even included in Works a Microsoft drawing program to show off that capability. Microsoft made Works available for less than $200 at retail, and often for only $10 to PC makers looking to include basic software with a new PC. By 2003, Works included a broad range of software for the home user, in addition to the all-in-one product, including personal finance, maps of the world in major cities, an encyclopedia, a sophisticated photo editing program called PhotoDraw, and somewhat surprisingly, the full and current version of Microsoft Word. On the surface, Microsoft had addressed the classic marketing problem of a low-end product and a high-end product with price support at the low end. We could sell works to price-sensitive customers and office to everyone else. With the PC manufacturing channel, we could even tactically go after market share for certain PC models aimed at the home and small business customers. Like all good marketers, we would only sell works when we had to, with all the marketing and sales efforts aimed at selling office. Even the works customers would see opportunities to upgrade to office. This all seems simple enough. On paper, this looked like a great spot to be in. There were two problems. First, Works was not compatible with Office. It was only marginally similar in how the user interface worked and not at all compatible with files created by Office. Nor was Office able to read Works files. Why would this matter in a world without networking or email? It didn't. Any given person would just use one or the other and it would be fine to print out documents when they were finished with their work. But in our world, the press would ask questions, and they make assumptions that all products from the company would interoperate. And by the early 2000s, emailing documents was becoming a scenario for home users. This product limitation led to the eventual inclusion of Word, though not Excel or PowerPoint, in the Works bundle. We failed these tests, and too often the product was labeled as incompatible. And in the PC world, incompatible is a big blow. Customers expected compatibility, especially from Microsoft. Second, and this gets to the heart of the matter, people didn't desire the product that did less. They wanted all the bells and whistles of Office. They just wanted, didn't want to pay full price, or they didn't have a computer with enough power to run Office. They wanted a more powerful computer, and almost certainly would invest in that rather than stopgap software for their current computer. We had a classic revealed preferences problem in customers saying one thing, but choosing a different action. There was no way around this. Customers just wanted more product for less money. This second point is the marketing challenge everyone with a successful product and software faces at some point. The natural inclination is to remove some capabilities and charge less. Usually it is possible to remove features that only certain customer segments want, like enterprise customers. And that keeps the price low for customers that do not need such features. Today, we see this as routine practice where low-end or even free versions of a product are used to upsell to increasingly expensive and feature-rich versions. Again, on the surface, this is what we had for varying suites of Office. But we did not have that for the individual applications within Office. We had a pricing problem. 
We did not have a product problem in the sense of getting value for the money paid. Customers wanted the value, just not the price. They also wanted the product to be better, and sometimes they equated the high price with the reason it was not better, as if a lower price would require less disk space and be easier to use, for example. Office also faced a competitor with a much lower price, free. Such a competitor is especially an acute problem when that product has a comparable feature set, whether that is real or simply perceived as such. Star Office claimed to be compatible and was certainly more compatible than Works, and it also claimed to have all the features of Full Office. If it was missing features, they promised to add them as soon as possible, just as I personally learned when they changed the product on a trade show floor to be more like Microsoft Office. The scary question for us was, would Office be susceptible to defeat in the market by a direct clone? Borland had been successful at making a dent in Lotus 123 sales. And with a relaxed view of copyright law in the courts, this seemed like a legitimate concern to us. Still, the technical requirements to legitimately clone Word, Excel, and PowerPoint seemed insurmountable. We knew this because of how much effort it took us to maintain compatibility and document fidelity between our own versions with our own engineers. In an interesting twist, some enterprise customers equated the low or free price of competitors with low quality. In other words, our pricing challenge was not as straightforward when looked at broadly. This mattered because software did not have highly specific distribution channels like cars or mattresses where we could control which channel sold which products. The legendary author and marketing guru Jeffrey Moore visited Microsoft in the early 1990s to meet with a few of us to talk about Office. This was before Windows 95 and 32-bit computing, before Office had won. Our minds were on adding features and getting new features to market to compete with the category share leaders that so dominated our industry by revenue. The conversation was deeply interesting when I look back, though at the time it was not as relevant to Office as one might think. According to Moore, as per his Crossing the Chasm framework and book, the PC was still in the early adopter phase. Moore suggested, as per the framework, that we needed to consider products for specific sub-segments of early adopters, legal, financial, consulting, education, providing versions of Office for each of those in succession as we grew the market to later stages of technology adoption. We were worried about the price support versus works, not against a competitor selling a different product specific to bankers or something. Tailoring Office for specific customers, however, was in some way the role of works, except rather than a job title, it was a skill level or distribution channel. The real mismatch, however, was that we were not struggling to gain adoption of the personal computer. We didn't have a crossing the chasm problem. We just had to wait for people to have enough money to buy a PC and pay us for software. We didn't have a segmentation problem. Everybody wanted Office. We had a revenue maximization problem. We just didn't want a ton of people buying works. One problem we did have was piracy. Long a bane of Microsoft says the company was founded on the premise that software should be paid for just like hardware. Piracy of Office had grown astronomically. We estimated that one in 10 PCs paid us for an Office license. But more than half the PCs out there had at least one major Office application. It was technically easy to pirate Office as we did not employ any countermeasures as were common to software products in the 1980s. With the release of Windows XP, Windows also had a significant piracy problem, 
Microsoft put in place a global software license enforcement program. Much to the chagrin of tech enthusiasts and early adopters, not to mention small businesses that often bought one copy of a product and just assumed it would work for a workplace with a few PCs. To say this program was met with mixed results would understate the uproar. Some whole countries prohibited the use of anti-piracy measures, and others mandated different mechanisms or terms of use. China famously lectured many of us, me personally, on lessons in the writings of Confucius. Software is like a book, so as not to share is selfish. I never looked up if that was an actual quote, but ministers and vice ministers lectured me enough that I took it as such. The online section has a photo of software pirated in China. The result of high piracy? In many markets, customers simply stuck with the older and easier to pirate versions of Office. On trips to markets from Italy to South Africa to China, members of the team would invariably return with a CD-ROM filled with Office 97 and everything Microsoft made five years ago. Bought on the street for about $5. On a trip to China, uh, during the Office 2003 launch, I went to a tech market where I was offered a form to fill out where I just checkmarked what software I wanted up to the 650 megabyte limit of a CD-ROM, Office 97, Windows 98, and so on. And within an hour, I received my custom CD for just 20 quai, about $2. Absent Microsoft corporate backing off from anti-piracy, something the field salespeople desperately wanted us to do, the calls for a cheaper version of Office were constant. They weren't quite sure what that would be, but they didn't want people to like it so much they would buy it instead of Office that carried a sales quota. Many of the subsidiaries would try to make a case that people could not afford software, even though I saw the price of PCs at the market mirror those in the US. Or in some markets, such as Brazil, PC prices were even higher. The issue was that there was a way to not pay, not a lack of ability to pay. Steve B., Love to point out that the computer market was located right near an imported car dealership in China, complete with Lamborghini and Ferraris on display. The PC itself was also under attack for being too expensive. The One Laptop Per Child initiative, OLPC, out of the MIT Media Lab started in 2005 to address this concern with the goal of providing an extremely low-priced computer running free software for students in emerging markets. Windows quickly followed with their own effort to build an even cheaper version of Windows by removing features. This will not be the last of the challenge for me in this industry. Given the context, the refrain for a low-end variant of Office had to be echoing in the Regman halls for years now, but was reaching almost deafening levels. I didn't really have a choice but to start up a project and see where it goes. I kicked off a unilateral skunkworks project without marketing or broad buy-in just to see if we could come up with something that would end this endless discussion. The project even had a code name, Firefly. You can always tell when I wasn't wild about something when I gave it a code name. The team needed to go through a process to bring closure once and for all. With most of the effort centered on the user interface and access to features, Julie Larson Green emailed Julie Lar led the effort from Office Program Management, where she was now leading the shared user experience team, moving over from front page. We completely understood how every other product, from cars to microwaves to stereos, had a cascade of price points for basically the same product. The difference for Office is twofold. First, software is soft. 
and the marginal cost of more features is zero, and customers readily see that. Second, interoperability between price points is key in a networked world and maintaining interoperability when different users can be editing a document with what amount to different tools all at the same time was technically difficult to imagine getting right. I kicked off the project Firefly, which quickly became known as Office Lite, knowing, perhaps that is too strong, I mean assuming, we would go through the exercise, figuring it out, only to conclude that no one at the company really wanted it. No one would want to be responsible for releasing a product that was either so bad no one wanted to buy it and the Office brand would get devalued, or so good that our enterprise customers would insist on having the light version of Office for much less revenue. The reason I picked a code name was because the mere expression of Office Lite or Office ES or Office Prime or any other marketing monitor moniker would cause customers to say, that's the one I want. They would do so by attaching all the positive attributes to the product. Just the features I want, easier to use, boots and loads faster, takes far fewer system resources. And because of those attributes, it was also less buggy and wouldn't crash. There's something about how low-end products always garner these catchy names. Sure enough, the name Office Lite leaked to the press and customers early in this process. Our new leader for office marketing was recently hired from Adobe. They had not only faced the same problems, but tried to do something about it. With its PDF product, the document format common on the web, Adobe had been struggling with the classic strategy of offering a free viewer and a paid-for product at the same time. The paid-for product would create PDF and also be an improved viewer. The problem they faced was that creating PDF was rapidly commoditized and free. This is the topic of a future section in this chapter as well. A few people needed the advanced features of viewing, but certainly not for hundreds of dollars more. With their flagship photo product, Photoshop product, Adobe had been trying to uh, seed the low end of the market with Photoshop Elements. There's that catchy name, side by side with Photoshop. This product still exists today, so we can assume it works for them. I'd say it works so well because you never see it being used. Of course, I have no data on real usage and I'm just speaking anecdotally. This Adobe experience led me to believe that Office would be viewed through this same lens by the new marketing leader. The first step in developing Office Lite would be to go through an exercise where we removed a bunch of features from the product. Doing so technically doesn't seem difficult, one would think, but in practice, the list of hypothetical problems gets very long very quickly. As an example, someone creates a template in Word that makes a document look a certain way. The document is then sent to someone else who has Word Lite. Can they see the new look? Can they edit the new look? What if they try to modify text within the context of the formatting that looks a certain way? How do formulas work in Excel? Does Excel Lite have the same formulas? What if a spreadsheet with a pivot table is sent to an Excel Lite customer? Can they pivot it? The list goes on and on. The fun part of this exercise was just how everyone thought it would be so easy, almost to a person. The first things to be removed from Lite were Visual Basic for applications, Mail Merge in Word, pivot tables in Excel, animations in PowerPoint. Then circle back to Word and remove features like the table of contents and legal citations, track changes and revision marks, and so on. Everyone brainstorming found it easy to make their own list of easy to lose features. There's a core assumption that these features aren't used and so it's easy. That's the problem. Everyone had an easy time removing features they believed they didn't need. 
How does that reconcile with creating a product that the enterprise customers would not want? It doesn't. In the next sections, we'll dig into the realities of what features are used and not, and how we design the next release. We had the real world data on usage. For now, suffice it to say that it's very easy to make a list of features to remove, but very difficult to remove any features that would cause customers to feel they need the full version of the product. These are the painful decisions. Some discussions became almost comical. One of my favorite examples has to do with documentation. For years, Office produced weighty tomes of printed books of documentation that more often than not served as ergonomic monitor risers if end users even got the documentation for themselves. With the rise of enterprise agreements, we moved most documents online. And with the internet, we were very excited to have always improving documentation available from the internet directly within the product. One of the key differentiators for Office Lite was a proposal that only documentation be available as a printed book that would come with the product and no online documentation or connection to the internet. We no longer had the ability to produce printed documentation. And before I knew it, someone in marketing had already put out bid proposals to publishers to create a book for us. The cheap to make office light was getting more expensive and have a higher bill of materials than the real office. One person who was hardcore about what not to remove was Bill G. I exchanged mail with him over the rumors he had heard about Office Lite, and he came back to me saying exactly what I predicted he would say, which is, we can't remove any platform features such as Visual Basic for applications. A lesson learned the hard way with platforms is that platforms must be consistent for developers in order to choose to use them. While it is fine to adorn platforms differently for various price points, Anything a developer might want to use must be in the baseline SKU. Otherwise, they will work around it and either implement something on their own without using the platform APIs or simply not have a feature. That's why every Windows API is in every Windows SKU, where developers can always count on them being there. Recall the tablet PC discussion. The online section includes the emails between Bill G and I. Cameron Turner, Cameron T, on the Office product planning team, developed a framework for brainstorming efforts for Office Lite. I gave up calling it Firefly by then. These goals included great for creating simple documents, a great viewer for all Office files regardless of where they were created, effective competitive response to low-end competitors, smallest delta from full Office to reach design goals. The team also developed a view of who the product was not going to be for. Office Lite is not for group collaboration, data analysts, developers, online communicators, meaning no Outlook, beginners, or multi-language document creators. The online section includes several of Cameron Turner's slides. The Office team was long expert at resolving what appeared to be impossible to resolve challenges, such as shipping on time versus shipping with quality. The Office Lite goals, however, were almost certainly perhaps even mathematically, unsolvable. Even something that to Americans seems simple, like not supporting multilingual documents, becomes problematic for sales even in neighboring Canada. The most unsolvable constraint was that the product wasn't for beginners. If not for beginners or the home, and not for specialists in finance or law, then who was the product for? Who was this broad middle and what were they doing? In this stage of PC expansion, there were tens of millions of customers getting their first PC and first use of Office at work or home. 
they were beginners too. Rumors about Office Lite started making their way around Microsoft. Marketing teams across the company were getting very excited at the prospect of a low-priced office because for some time they'd wanted to have the office brand associated with their products, but the price point was too high. The Windows OEM group, the team responsible for selling Windows to PC makers, wanted nothing more than office on every new PC socket. They hated selling works because it was so cheap. OEMs expected Office Lite to be only marginally more than works. The emerging market teams loved the idea of a cheaper office. Then people started to think through the issues and how revenue would suffer. Not just revenue, but the sales quota carried by each subsidiary and sales segment. It didn't take long before the office small business marketing team, for example, would come to realize that every Dell small business PC came with Office Lite presumably because the OEM team was so successful. Then they'd never make their numbers for selling the small business SKU. There weren't enough small business PCs to even make it up in volume. The MSN Microsoft Network team was working hard to develop a paid offering because the advertised business was not yet large enough to sustain the investment we were making. Recall the pressure mounting on the investment businesses from the previous chapter. They were very excited about being able to bundle Office Lite with a new MSN subscription offering. We had not yet arrived at a price, but it was obvious that like the OEM team, they thought it would add a dollar or two to the monthly subscription, which was works level of pricing, not Office. Then the other shoes started to drop. Not just the Bill G shoe, but the global enterprise fields. Suddenly my inbox was filled with subject lines, rumors about Office Lite, Concerns about Office Lite. Office revenue goals and light. These emails expressed incredible reservations about the potential for tanking the entire business in favor of a product that, by knowing only the name, the salespeople thought was too desirable for the low price. My good friends in MSKK, Microsoft Japan, sent me a note directly stating they decided not to offer Office Lite in their market. They were so against the idea that they just presumptively closed off any discussion in the most non-Japanese way I could imagine. The online section includes the email from MSKK. Problems such as these could be solved. Many businesses solve them all the time. Cars have low-end models with a magical suggested retail price, but they do a fantastic job constraining the supply of that model. Consumer electronics, including PCs, almost always have a good, better, best, but these are easily distinguished based on capacity measures, memory, watts, screen size, and also by distribution, where the product is sold. Software, especially when exchanging data files and documents in a network, do not lend themselves to these artificial constraints. Those that grew up with IBM mainframes know the frustration of IBM upgrades when customers would request a higher-priced hardware upgrade and a tech would show up and simply crack open the case and turn a screw to enable the upgrade costing thousands of dollars per month. This didn't really happen, but the stories were legendary. Imagine if Office Lite handled only 10-page Word documents or spreadsheets with only 255 rows or something like that. Unlike these other products, we were also squeezed at the high end. Office for Enterprise customers is designed to be a bundle with everything we sell for the enterprise. As discussed with the addition of Outlook, SharePoint, OneNote, and InfoPath, there was no support for adding more expensive enterprise bits. Today, many cloud software applications save enterprise capabilities such as security and management 
for the high-priced, or just priced, SKUs. With Office, 80% or more of the revenue was already coming from enterprise SKUs. There was no appetite to move up with higher prices, which could make the low-price SKU more price-friendly. The process of planning the SKUs for Office 2003 was such an exercise in chasing our own tails, so much so that we spent a significant amount of engineering time just to create a push-button feature that enabled the production of a new SKU, a different combination of the 11 different Office applications, to be created without additional code or testing. This came in handy as the Office System 2003 shipped with seven different SKUs. We started to toy with the idea of being able to dynamically enable or disable different features in the same way, so we could make progress on whether Office Lite was even possible to build. At the plumbing level, this was not so difficult. But with thousands of features and product design elements, such as toolbars that depend on features that exist, it turned out to not be practical. The design started to go from brainstorming to an actual product offering in a table form. Suddenly, Office Lite did not look so good. After all the sessions over features to remove, the desire to remove features started to fade away. The team created a table of the proposed Office Lite product compared to competitors. The resulting table was a disaster. It looked like one of those magazine reviews where a product gets clobbered for missing all the checkboxes. After getting feedback from the subsidiaries and hearing their lack of desire to even offer Office Lite, the risk of subs failing to make their numbers and blaming Office Lite became real. The reality that Office Lite would be a non-competitor product versus our free competitors sucked all the excitement out of the potential offering. It didn't matter what we removed from the product. OpenOffice could just add it to their product and charge nothing. The online section includes this table comparing Office Lite to other products. Office Lite was dead. Again. We had to win in the market with a better product that cost more. We had the product people wanted, and we needed to sell it harder if that's what it took. Today we know we had product market fit, and the little thing like pricing was not going to be our biggest problem. By comparison, the office price of $499 for a perpetual, that is runs forever, license of office, or the roughly $150 to $200 per year for an enterprise three-year agreement, is comparable to an Office 365 today that can easily cost an enterprise more than $650 per year per license. Though Microsoft is running Exchange and SharePoint in the cloud for these plans. What is not dead, however, is what got us talking about Office Lite in the first place. The customer concerns were not really about price. Price was a proxy for bloat. We needed to address bloat. We tried before, but now it was critical. What the heck does bloat mean?